Thank you, Shannon, and thank you for everyone who participated in our service tonight. And thank you for coming out this evening. And grateful that that rain wasn't snow that we had yesterday. Tonight we continue our study of the seven churches at, in the book of Revelation. Tonight we look at the church at Sardis. We begin as we have with each of the churches, looking at the description of Christ. Uh, we are told in Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In this uh, uh, description of Christ, the church is simply reminded of God's sovereign control over the church. If you remember the vision that was given in Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 of which all of these descriptive parts come from, from each of the churches, uh, tells us in Revelation 1 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So they are to keep in mind the person with whom they are dealing. Revelation 1.16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. So simply, this description of Jesus says nothing more than the fact that he is the one that is over the seven churches. They are under his power, they're under his auspices, they are under his authority. Uh, they are accountable to him. Uh, this is very brief, uh, no words of encouragement particularly from that except a reminder of who it is that they are dealing with. For notice the assessment of the church. Revelation 3 verse 1. And the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirit of God, the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So here we have Christ's negative assessment of the church at Sardis. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The church at Sardis, for the most part, is spiritually dead. That's what it's talking about when it says that you are dead. Obviously, this is a very negative statement. A church can't get any worse than being spiritually dead. In other words, the church was filled with people who were Christians in name only. They were not truly born again. They were not in a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. They were a church in name only. They did have a few who were still alive. Revelation 3, verse 4. You have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So there were a few within this church that were born again, but by and large, as one would look at this church, it was spiritually dead. 
B, the church in Sardis was well thought of by others. What is extremely noteworthy is that others viewed the church as thriving. For notice it says at the end of verse 1 of chapter 3, you have the reputation of being alive. Number two, the reputation they had gained was with people, not with God. But this is how other people viewed this church. They viewed the church as being alive, when in fact, however, they were spiritually dead. But you are dead, a strong conversive, uh, the opposite of what people thought about this church. They viewed it as alive, but they were dead. They had not met Christ's standard. Revelation 3, verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The word found speaks of a judicial decision on the part of Christ. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a verdict, uh, as when we would say that a person is found guilty. It means that there has been a trial, there has been evidence demonstrated, and the judge has declared a verdict, uh, guilty. Well, here, Jesus says, I have examined your works. I have found you to be spiritually dead. They have not met God's standard, for it says that I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So as Jesus is making this assessment, he says that God is not pleased with them God will not accept them. Positive assessment. This is the only church that does not receive any praise. Uh, how can you praise a spiritually dead church? What good thing can you say about it? What is it that, that God is going to say, well, at least you have done this or that? Uh, no, there's, there's nothing good to be said about a church that is spiritually dead. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. For we may think, well, but there's a lot of good that churches that no longer preach the gospel, at least they are ministering in the community. They may be uh, giving out uh, meals to the poor, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, there is no praise on the part of God for a church that is spiritually dead. However, there is a small remnant that is praiseworthy. It says you have still a few names in Sardis. They have not soiled their garments. They walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Um, it's an interesting statement when it says that you still have a few names in Sardis. One would gather from that that there was a time in which this church was spiritually alive. There was a time in which this church preached the gospel. They were, it was a time when this church was doing what God would have it to do, but that time had passed. There are a few linger on, linger ons, if you will, uh, a people that, uh, a remnant, uh, a few people that uh, still were adhering to the gospel, but the uh, church itself had uh, departed from the truth and was dead. Application. A. It is possible 
that a church may enjoy a reputation as lively and active church when in fact it is spiritually dead. I think that's a very important lesson for us to keep in mind. Uh, many times uh, the assessments that people use to evaluate a church and its health aren't particularly the appropriate assessments and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but the issue is not how people view a church, but rather how God views a church. So we might ask the question, how can a church gain a reputation for being spiritually alive when it is spiritually dead? Obviously, a faulty standard of judgment is being employed. Uh, people must be evaluating this church on the wrong basis. If you're going to miss the mark by that degree, then uh, you must be looking at this church through eyes that other than what God would look at this church. So what faulty criteria might some use to evaluate the spiritual health of a church? And I'm thinking today, uh, as we try to make this applicable to our day and age, uh, what are the kinds of things that, that people look at and uh, ascertain as to the vitality or health of a church? Well, number one, is the church growing numerically? Uh, I think of all the evaluated processes as, as I read church growth books, as, as I read church health books, one of the things that uh, people constantly look at, first of all, is, is the church growing in number or is it declining in number? And the thought is if it's growing in number, it is spiritually healthy and it's vital. If it's declining in number, it obviously is a dying church, there's something wrong with it, and they better get on the stick or they're gonna go out of business, all right? That is purely a worldly standard. Uh, you can fill the pews with all kinds of gimmicks, with all kinds of come-ons, uh, with all kinds of ways to attract people that has nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with spiritual transformation, and is not going to result in those people making a profession of faith. So churches have reputations of being alive because of their numerical increase when in fact they are spiritually dead. Number two, does the church bring in a good deal of money? Uh, that is usually the second thing that church growth, church health uh, gurus evaluate. How is the church doing financially? Is it meeting its budget? Or is it not meeting its budget? If it's meeting its budget, obviously this church is healthy, it's growing, it's good, it's fine, uh, it's thriving. Well, <clears throat> there are a lot of churches that don't preach the gospel that are raking in tons and tons of money. And uh, there are a lot of organizations that bring in money. Uh, they use techniques that are not particularly appropriate. Um, Perhaps, uh, I don't know how widely these commercials are, they're, they're on cable. Uh, have you seen those commercials to uh, send in for uh, Miracle Spring Water? How many have seen the Miracle Spring Water commercials? Oh, okay, I guess I'm the only one that has seen them. All right, uh, so they can't be bringing in too much money, I guess. But. Uh, <clears throat> But uh, the idea is uh, send the money and get this miracle, miracle spring water and, 
It'll not only, it'll, it'll not only uh, uh, cure what ails you, but if you don't have money, it'll give you that and so on. Well, is the church bringing in money? If the church is bringing in money, it's healthy. If the church is not bringing in money, it's got to be unhealthy. Is the church involved with the community? Uh, is it feeding the poor? Is it well known? Does, is its name out there? Uh, do people recognize the church? If you walk into a store and you say, have you heard of such and such a church? Oh yes, I've heard of that church. My sister goes there, my aunt goes there. So name recognition is huge uh, in ascertaining whether or not a church is healthy or not. Uh, is it known in the community? Four, does the church have an outstanding musical program? And uh, I was going to go through and use examples of all of these, but uh, I started getting carried away and I thought I would resist. But, uh, you know, for example, I mean, uh, I would hope we would all acknowledge that uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not a gospel-preaching church and would be spiritually dead. But they have the most famous musical group, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And a lot of people listen to uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sing at Christmas time, you know, the Messiah, uh, and so on. They have an outstanding building. They have an outstanding organ. They have an outstanding musical pro program. But they're spiritually dead. Number five, is the church attracting young people? Uh, are there young people in the church? If they're not young people in the church, the church is spiritually dead. If there are young people in the church, they are spiritualized. I would submit to you all of those are faulty criteria. They all missed the mark. But that is how churches that are dead gain reputations for being alive. And that's how people look at this and say, look at that church. They are thriving. They must be doing something great. They must be doing something right. God must be exceedingly pleased. You see, this is a very, very important warning to think that God would say of this church that has the reputation of being alive, you are dead. Remedy. They are to see how critical their condition really is. Revelation 3, verse 2, wake up. Strengthen what remains is about to die. So what does it mean to wake up? The lexicon declines the word as follows. To be awake or watchful. The word stands in opposition. Uh, the word that stands in opposition to watching is sleeping. First Thessalonians 5, 6. So, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake <coughs> and be sober. <coughs> The words watch and sleep are used in connection with the prayers of Jesus in the garden. If you remember, uh, it's the night before uh, Jesus' betrayal. Uh, they have been celebrating the Lord's Supper in the upper room. Now they go out to the garden of Gethsemane. And he encourages the disciples to watch and pray with them. So then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? I have your note that prayer and watchfulness also uh, are often connected in the scripture, but they're not synonymous. Just as prayer and fasting are often connected in scripture, but they are not synonymous. So watchfulness and prayerfulness many times go hand in hand, though they're not the same thing. To be watchful is to be spiritually alert and to be on guard recognizing the danger, recognizing that there is a fear that we are to have. So watch. And what um, the disciples are to watch for is their uh, denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus had just said to Peter that before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, I will not deny you. He said, I'm willing to die with you. He said, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So he tells Peter to watch and to pray. Be on the alert. Recognize uh, the possibility that you are going to uh, succumb to this temptation. So those that remain are to be watchful. Uh, obviously, if you're spiritual dead, dead, you can't be watchful. But the people that are remaining are to be watchful. That they are not contributing to this deadness, but rather are going to contribute to the remedy. All right? Many times in churches that are spiritually dead, there are uh, groups of people, uh, obviously minority groups, that they themselves are born again. They themselves are walking with the Lord, uh, but they are sitting under teaching that is false. Uh, they are putting up with all kinds of compromises, etc. And so it is those people that the passage is addressing when it says, wake up, <laughs> uh, smell the roses, realize what's going on here. Uh, don't be numb to the fact that the church is spiritually dead. Uh, many times uh, in uh, you know, the, the smaller works that uh, are no longer preaching the gospel, it's those handful of people that are born again that are keeping the doors open, uh, but uh, the church itself is dead. B, they are to give life support to that which has not yet died, but is in the process of dying. Wake up. And then it says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Okay, so <clears throat> the way that this church is headed, it's going to, if it doesn't wake up, then there's going to be no one that is born again. All right? The, the, those last few uh, remnants of people uh, are going to die off or uh, they're going to uh, no longer be a part of the church. And so then the church will die conclusively. So uh, it says strengthen what remains. Well, we'll look at how to do that in just a moment. But if you look at Acts 14, 21 and 2, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra 
and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Continuing them to encourage the faith. That is what they are to be strengthening their people that are about to die. Continue in the faith. That is um, that form of doctrine which is, which is true. So see, they had to revisit the truths that they had been given and been instructed in. Revelation 3.3. 3. Remember then what you have received and heard. In 1 Corinthians it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. There is this aspect of being reminded of what it is that we are all about. It is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When a church ceases to preach the gospel, they are spiritually dead. Those handfuls of people are to remember, they are to wake up and be recommitted to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and its proclamation. Okay, So that um, that becomes the most valuable thing. Uh, churches have a tendency to uh, want to be relevant. They, they want to be significant. Uh, they want to be viewed as uh, on the cutting edge, looking for new methodologies, looking for new ways of doing things, uh, looking for, unfortunately, new methods. Uh, not, excuse me, just not new methods, but new messages of uh, how it is that uh, uh, we can attract people. And unfortunately, a lot of churches are departing from the gospel as seeing that that doesn't attract people. Uh, that isn't what gets people in the building. There are so many other things that you could do. In fact, if you preach the gospel, you might turn some people off. And so it actually becomes a negative. You don't want to do that. You certainly don't want to tell people they're sinners. Who wants to hear that they are sinners? So don't talk about sin. Don't talk about the fact that uh, people are sinful, that they have hearts that need to be transformed and changed. Um, we need to be reminded. It's not about finding something new. It is about holding on to that which is old, that which has been true for thousands of years. We're not to be novel. We're to be faithful. We're to hold on to that which has been entrusted to us from generation to generation. It's been true, even as we saw this morning, of the Old Testament, of the faith of Abraham is to be our faith. Um, so it begins with remembering. Secondly, they are to believe and obey those truths. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. Keep it. Uh, it has two concepts. To keep it is to obey it, and to keep it is to guard it. And so we guard it by obeying it, and we guard it by not departing from it. Uh, hold fast. Which you received, which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. And when it means believed in vain, it means believed in something that is not true. 
because they were denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the fact that Christ really did rise. So don't give up the doctrine of the resurrection. Hold fast to that. Uh, don't move into something that is novel, something that is new, something that is different. But you need to hold on fast onto that gospel which was just preached and it, consider, it concerns the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, they're to change their ways. For it says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent, change. Uh, don't continue down this road that you are going down. I remember uh, years ago, I was involved with a uh, <clears throat> Bible Institute and uh, I was teaching in that uh, Bible Institute and I had a person in my class uh, that uh, the pastor had resigned and he was on a search committee for uh, a new pastor and he said, uh, would you mind giving me some material uh, to help with uh, finding a pastor? And I said, sure. Uh, and I had such material and I gave him some things as to what they might uh, want to uh, consider, uh, what kind of questions to ask, uh, what uh, things that, that they needed to evaluate as they thought about obtaining a new pastor. He read it, came back to me the next week, and he said, I don't think you understand. He said, we are going to be happy if we can just find somebody that preaches the gospel. We're going to be happy if we can just find somebody that preaches the gospel. And the particular denomination he was in, he said, I'm not sure we're going to find somebody that preaches the gospel. That's a pretty sad state of affairs. When you have the opportunity to choose who your pastor is, but the pool is so weak that it says, I'm not sure we're going to be able to find somebody that, can pre that preaches the gospel. That's dead. No matter what kind of program it has, no matter what kind of buildings it has, no matter what kind of financial assets it has, no matter what the demographics or the age of the people are, it's dead if it's not preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, change their ways. The warning. Revelation 3.3. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. The warning is taken from the imagery of 1 Thessalonians. I say the imagery because 1 Thessalonians is talking about the uh, Lord's return. Uh, Revelation in this verse is not talking about the Lord's return. Uh, he walks among the uh, churches. He's, he's not talking about the second coming as we think of it. He's just saying, I'm going to <clears throat> remove your lampstand uh, if you don't repent. But the warning is taken from the thief imagery of 1 Thessalonians. He will come upon the unbeliever as a thief, 1 Thessalonians 5.2. For yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He is viewed as a thief because of the destruction that will come to those who are asleep. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But he is not to come upon the believer as a thief. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you like a thief. Um, we should be looking for the Lord's return. And the analogy here is that the people who are still alive ought to be looking for 
the reality of God's judgment. They are to be looking at the fact that he holds these churches in their hands. They can't ignore the warning that God is giving to them. Um, take it seriously. The comfort for the faithful. Revelation 3, 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. Those who heed the warning will be viewed as righteous. Revelation 3, 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Those who heed the warning will not need to fear death, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Uh, they will continue uh, to live. Christ will intercede for those who are faithful. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In the book of Romans, this aspect of Christ confessing uh, their name before the Father and before the angels says this in Romans 8, 31. Um, I uh, picked it up too late. Uh, earlier in Romans, I think it's Romans 8. Uh, no, I, I picked it up right. I'm sorry. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Conclusion. A, we're to heed the warning to be a church that is alive. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. B, a church that is alive is one that is faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate criteria of the spiritual health and well-being of the church. Now there are others, how well they uh, adhere to uh, the totality of the word of God, etc. But the bottom line for that which brings life is personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that's in keeping with the gospel. There are reasons why a church that is spiritually alive may be declining. Um, we live in a period of time in which uh, people are not particularly concerned about preaching, not particularly concerned about doctrine, not concerned particularly concerned about what a church teaches, but more concerned about what the nursery looks like, what the program is. Is there stuff for my children to do? Is there uh, vital worship, which means music, etc.? There are so many criteria that people use. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't have nice nurseries or music, etc. 
but that's really pretty superfluous, okay? Not bad or good. What is the criteria that we must always remember is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what is foundational to the teaching and the doctrine of the church? You lose that, you may have a good reputation, but you don't have a good standing with God. That doesn't mean if you hold on to the gospel that you may not be reaching your budget. doesn't mean you may not be growing. These other things, again, they're superfluous. The church may be increasing in numbers. It may not be increasing in numbers. It may be meeting its budget. It may be behind its budget. It may have a tremendous facility. It may have a rundown facility. It may have outstanding music. It may have music that is subpar. That's not how you measure a church. What is its relationship to the gospel? C, a church dies when it's no longer preaching the gospel. There can be hands full of people that are out there and sitting in the pews or being involved in its work and teaching in their junior church. There can be a remnant of people that are still faithful, as there were a few in Sardis. But when you look at the church as a whole, it's dead. It's dead. And the admonition is wake up. Smell the roses. Understand the condition of the church of which you are a part. And so I would submit to you tonight that we are a healthy church because we hold to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we be better in areas? Sure. But the bottom line, and what you can't negotiate on, what you can't change, what you can't try to dismiss in order to be more relevant or more useful or more people-friendly, you can't change the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the gospel. It is the good news. You can't change it, you can't alter it, you can't make it universal that everybody's going to heaven. The gospel has to be that which we hold in guard from generations that have come down to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. The church dies when no longer is preaching the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, I pray that you would keep us uh, Help us all to be alert and uh, never accept uh, anything other than the preaching of the gospel. May we never look for methodologies or messages that are, are going to be more acceptable than the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, guard us, watch over us, protect us, and keep us. And to help us in our evaluations as we think about uh, what indeed is a healthy church. May we come back to this aspect of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.